1: So, so, so dance tonight
2: Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for July 6th, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed, or you can find us on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. If you want to follow us, you can go to Twitter at Open Voice Gate. Just give us a follow there. And if you would like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to a redcircle.com landing site. You click the red box to sponsor this podcast, and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts, it's your old pal, Iron Max Beers, joined alongside, as always, by Case Lowe, and special guest today, John Hernandez. Case and John, how are y'all today? Doing good. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, you guys.
0: Yeah, I'm stoked to have John Hernandez on the podcast. John does a lot of our previews, our written previews for Drangate Big Events over at VoicesOfWrestling.com. And as we're uh, winding down the career of Masato Yoshino, we figured, hey, John Hernandez is a guy that knows a lot about Dragon Gate. Let us have this man on the podcast, and thus we made it happen, and I'm very glad he's here.
3: Yeah, it's going uh, to be humbling. Uh, relatively speaking, <laughs> uh, in this room, I know very little about Dragon Gate, but I'll do my best to keep up. <laughs>
2: But you know that the important thing is that we've all come together to talk about Masato Yoshino and talk about the promotion. We enjoy slash love Dragon Gate. That the, there's no like learning curve. There's no intimidation here. We're all in this together. So, so you I'm, won't bully again. <laughs> oh, I I would never bully anyone other than people who think that uh, Dominic uh, Mysterio and. Uh, and what's-his-name punter dude, were better hol- uh, rookies of the year than uh, SP Kento. Those are the only people that should be bullied. John, You're not John can we get all? on
0: record your Wrestling Observer Newsletter Awards uh, from last year? We just want to make sure you weren't a Dominic voter, and if you were, we're going to have to have a very unfortunate conversation.
3: Um, You know... Now, you know, I was going to try and do a bit about being a Dominic Mysterio apologist, <laughs> but I can't even gamble it. <laughs> 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 I can't have that taken out of context. No.
0: no, you don't want that clip. You don't want that clip surfacing on the Internet anywhere.
2: <laughs> yeah, no one wants to have to come back like five years from now and admit that they thought that Dominic Mysterio was any good. So you're totally in the right there, John. So. For this week, we, we were doing a little bit of a two-part episode in one. We're going to talk a bit about this week's Cork and Hall show. It is the Tokyo Cork and Hall go-home for uh, Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival 2021 and Speedstar Final. And what a card is going to be. We're going to get into that in a second. And as well, we're, we're having our next edition of Speedstar, where we celebrate the career of the cornerstone of the Dragon System, Masato Yoshino. So, guys... Uh, just like leading off, uh, this Corkin show, given how things have been with them in Corkin over like the last two years, with the exception of having like a title match here, this feels kind of like the biggest Corkin they've had it in several years.
0: Yeah, John, go ahead. I want your thoughts yeah, on this first. Um...
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I
3: mean, uh, this Korkin is stacked top to bottom, and but I, part of me thinks that's just a product of how everything's been booked lately. You know, if you look up and down the card, um, everything that these matches are pushing forward is just part of a program that's really exciting. And uh, Takashi Yoshida and Punch Tamanaga are buried in the dark match, so you know they're taking this one really seriously. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, been, I'm really excited for this one. And uh, especially, the, you know, that main event is tremendous. I've been waiting a long time for the Yamato and Kai feud to pay off. Um, and it really, it seemed like it never would uh, until, you know, a couple of ago when, um, you know, was it two months ago when they had Yamato and Kai and then um, they had uh Kento. SB Kento yeah yeah that match i mean it ended up just being a tease for like eight minutes but that was the first time i felt something like approaching blow off intensity between yamato and kai it's also like beginning the first period in a while where i've been excited by what yamato's been up to so uh yeah no i'm really excited for the show
0: i echo a lot of john's thoughts there it's exciting for me and i've talked about this on the podcast quite a bit recently from a on paper standpoint, I think the booking of Yamato versus Kai, which is a feud that we're, we're quickly approaching a year of, you know, Kai turned last September. So realistically, we're at nine or 10 months of this Yamato and Kai program now. It's on paper, made total sense. I've enjoyed the elevation of it along the way but none of it has really excited me all that much. It's a little reminiscent of the prolonged Dragon Kid versus Eita feud in 2018, where I could look at it and go, yes, all of this makes sense. I see what they're doing, but I don't necessarily enjoy it. Now, I I think there were some active detractions in Dragon Kid versus Eita, whereas with Yamato and Kai, it's more just been average. It's been fine. It's existed. It hasn't really swung too high. It hasn't really swung too low. I do think they have a chance, given Kai's background, given the fact that this is Yamato's signature match, I do think they have a chance to knock it out of the park with this no ropes match. Like we talked about a few weeks ago, the first one they've done in seven years, the last time they did this was Yamato versus T-Hawk. In 2014, so we're talking about an entirely different universe with Yamato representing Mad Blanky, T Hawk one just being in the company, and two representing millennials in that match. So I like the main event; really excited for that. Hopefully, that's one that catches a little bit of Western buzz, just because it's a gimmicky match and it's a little different. And I, I would hope that some gifts circulate, assuming the match is entertaining. I also am through the roof excited about match number three masaki mochizuki versus coach minora in a singles match this will essentially mark minora's three-year anniversary with the promotion he debuted in july of 2018 he very quickly found himself in a position where he stepped up to the plate slapped masaki mochizuki in the face as a rookie and then quickly paid the ultimate price for it aka getting kicked in the fucking head uh (laughs) minora has obviously grown king of gate finalist a man that is right on the you know borderline dreamgate challenger level i expect him and mochizuki to knock it out of the park in this match that is what really jumps out on this card for me mike what is it for you
2: i just think like up and down this is such a complete card like if i'm going to pick one match just because i think this is probably given who's around and who's available the best kind of match they could do for him in Tokyo is the summer main event. It's the speedstar final countdown in Tokyo. Uh Doi Yoshi teaming like usual, but they brought Sachi in for this uh for the ninth. So we're getting a combo speed mass speed monster. Speed monster, what am I saying? Speed muscle and amigo tag uh, team versus the natural vibes, like top team of KZ, Susumu, and Ginky Horaguchi. And that's just there's a lot of stuff there that really interests me. I mean, this is a match that, given how the final countdown matches have been, has like a wide disparity. I feel like between what's ex- its expected floor could be and its ceiling. But I just like the idea that like we've talked we talked about this in the episode with Rich, like how big Amigo Tag was at one point, and the fact that they know this and they know that probably the most important match in Satyoko. A boy's career, all have like like several of them happen in Corken Hall in his relationship with Yoshino. It, it it's a cool touch there, but there's just just like looking at this card up and down, with the exception of the aforementioned match zero. I mean, I, I I'm like looking at it, and there's not a whole lot of misses there. And the one match that I think everyone can look at and be like, all right, this match is going to be dumb. Is going to be a, it is second on the card. It's not gonna get a whole lot of time, and we get a return of Brother Yashi in the promotion. So it, it, there's a lot about this Cork and Hall to like, if you ask me.
0: John, let me get your thoughts on this real quick, as this is the last Cork and Hall show before Kobe world at the end of the month. Match four is Masquerade versus R.E.D. Shun Skywalker, Jason Lee, Dragon Daya and La Estrella versus Ata, SP Kento, Diamante and Daya Inferno. And then you have the Speedstar final countdown in Tokyo match, which is the aforementioned Yoshino Doi and Sachihoko team against uh, Susumu, Horiguchi and KeiZi. So on the final cork and before your biggest show of the year, you do not have Casey and Shun Skywalker interacting with one another in a match. Is that something that bothers you at all? Because while I like the, the speed star final countdown match on paper, I would have liked to have seen Skywalker and Casey in the ring with one another on this show.
3: On one hand it does. And on one hand it doesn't. I think um, what you're seeing with a lot of these speed star final matches is they're just scrambling to fill in plans that, they probably meant to think uh, matches they meant to put together while Yoshino was injured the second time. Um, and having an Amigo tag reunion, this is probably the last opportunity for that. So I get that. And I also think, you know, we've gotten the, it helps that uh, last year or two Kobe's ago, you had the KZ Shun Skywalker match there. And I think everyone knows that that match, it's really just a product of uh sticking two of your best guys in the ring and letting them make fireworks. And I think uh, getting a preview for that, we can survive without it if we get the Amigo tag reunion. I mean, we also, you got uh, Susumu in there rather than being in anything resembling a preview for the Twingate, uh, you know, sequence of matches that'll happen over that weekend. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think you just got to do what you got to do to make, because th- honestly, the path to Yoshino's retirement has been kind of underwhelming and it's no one's fault he couldn't get out of bed one day. But, <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? But uh, yeah, no, it's a, uh, I think it's just a product of necessity.
0: What are your thoughts in general on what we have announced for Kobe World? I don't think we have anything announced for a Speedstar Final, with the exception of the eventual Yoshino match, but what are your thoughts on that card in general, John?
3: Of the Speed Star Final or the whole- uh,
0: Of Co- Kobe World. Kobe okay.
3: World. Um, I think it looks great. And I think much like- the way uh, I just had it up here in front of me. Much like how I'm talking about this card, everything's booked in a place where you kind of, you can't miss. Um, where did I put that card? I just had it in front of me. But uh, yeah, you know, like the, the, the Twin Gate sequence is great. Honestly, the only hole, the real problem is that, well, there's two big holes that I'm actually really curious about seeing how they get filled on this Korkin, and that's uh, what happens with Yoshino that, at least feels like it was pieced together in some substantial way it isn't just you know a thrown together final match for him and also the match you mentioned earlier uh between mochizuki and minora neither of them have anything going on going into kobe this is probably the last chance to really put something substantial together and i can't think of many more people who i'm who's uh, who's future matchup at that show I'm more interested in than both Mochizuki and especially Kota Minora, especially coming off of being the King of Gate runner-up. And this, you know, when the uh, when the the Triangle Gate uh, team, uh, lost my train of thought there, but when the Triangle Gate uh, team with Jason Lee and uh, in Australia when they won the belts, I was upset at first. At uh, at, uh, Jason Lee and Minora getting split up they're like my favorite pairing in the company and now Minora is in a big single spot Uh, it seems like some kind of push is happening and I'm really interested to see what they do with him that weekend
2: yeah it's something where now that we have the above the line title matches like you're absolutely like Mochizuki is someone that I feel like will be plugged into something with Yoshino if not on the 31st and on the 1st, but it, it it's something where with, with how much Noah he does, and that's never a concern that he's going to go jump to Noah. It's just one of those things that is just kind of matter of fact about it. Other than the buddy cop team really has not done a whole lot since uh, COVID started. And it makes you wonder like, where would you exactly position him and, and who would you match up with? Because I look at this special singles match with like Minora and Minora you know, is still in his elevation and building him up there. Like the special singles match very easily could have been the special singles match at uh, Kobe world. And everyone would be like, all right, that makes perfect sense here. But instead of, unless this goes 20 minute time limit draw, I don't think they're going to run it back. And then you have Yamato and Kai now, who we're assuming that this is the big blow off there. And the fact that your company ace Yamato is nowhere to be seen in the title pictures at Kobe world like I was expecting them to be like all right we got two shows we got we're okay about speed star final that show I think if it has not sold out right now I believe it it will be a sellout by the first and so that's gonna be the thing so let's load up uh, Kobe world because this will be the show that we need people to come and buy tickets for because the other show is covered and Yamato on top or in a title match would have done that but does not seem like that's the case and seems more likely that we're going to probably get, like, Yamato, Benkei, and Kagatora versus some assortment of RED or the Natural Vibes Young Guys, maybe. Like, it's really interesting to see where they're going to go with this, considering that they have this, they have a Kyoto show, and I believe they have one Kobe Sambo Hall show at the end of the month before this. So, like, they, they basically have, like, six hours left to build out the two biggest shows and arguably the biggest week in the company's history. And, a lot of big pieces are kind of still uh, out there and haven't been placed together. And I think that's pretty fascinating to see. And I think that the points you made about Mochizuki and Minora are dead on about that because they do kind of feel like a little bit of a glaring hole right now, 22 days or 24, 24 days out.
0: Yeah. We're a month out and there's no clear direction for Yamato, Mochizuki, uh, Kai, ATA and i think there's maybe one more in there where it's just like god how do you how do you put together a kobe world and not have these guys featured i think in previous years we would use that as a knock against the promotion but then you look at the lineup that's there for 731 kobe world pro wrestling festival and it makes sense i mean if you're in tune at all with this promotion it's really hard to deny any of these matches not being fit for this show akuda versus horaguchi feels uh, like like a proper brave gate match the triangle gate match which i was uh, initially annoyed by when it was announced because i really thought we were going to get sb kento versus Minora in a singles match on this show the triangle gate match feels well built twin gate match is going to be excellent and and i'm a fan of the main event so i think that speaks to the depth of this current roster that you know like we've talked about recently ata is ha- has become an afterthought and i don't think that's a knock on ata i just think that's a strength of this roster and then you know Minoru, Mochizuki, Yamato—all guys that could just end up in meaningless multi-man tags on these shows—and that that blows my mind because that would have not have been possible two or three years ago.
2: No, and, and also the person who's been absent of almost all the shows lately, Ultimo—like he's well, in you, Mexico you right that, now. Is he in Mexico? Yeah. I haven't. I'm not Oz on on Instagram as I used to be. His Instagram account is great if you love. Uh, just beautiful photos and style there, but I've not kept up on it. So he's back in Mexico.
0: As of 19 hours ago, this man is still in Mexico. Uh, John, I don't know if you follow Ultimo Dragon on Instagram. If not, I would highly recommend it. It's yeah, a I, mix- I do love
3: beautiful photos and style.
0: Yeah, so. <laughs> it's, it's a mix of like him doing, you know, pictures of him doing like a Lamahi straw and then him in a stunning three piece suit with the mask on. I have never heard... Uh, From those that have interacted with him in this iteration of his life uh, since his, his, I guess, debut in Gate, I have not heard a bad word. This is a classy individual that loves his wine, loves his cigars, and loves his suits, and good on him for that.
3: What I would give to just have a meal and a drink with Ultimo Dragon. I don't even care about the language barrier. I just love to look at the guy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anyone on the planet is chilling quite as hard as Ultimo Dragon. I think he knows he won, you know? Like oh god, a, yeah! Being treated like you still matter at this point with the output you put out, <laughs> bravo, brother!
2: I love the guy. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's so cool. Like someone in the VOW Discord was like, "Do you think Ultimo like misplayed his cards? The fact that he didn't really, he really wasn't in New Japan or All Japan as peak, other than like J Crown stuff." Like, no, Ultimo knows what he's doing, Ultimo. Uh, he made he makes so much money just like doing like the uh, WAR thing and then Indies and then WCW. And then, I mean, Casey, okay, you, you've told the story several times about this is a guy who will go after his match and immediately go to the merch table. Uh, Ultimo Dragon will chase the bag and he <laughs> has, I mean, this is a man of expensive taste. Like I'm looking at his Instagram right now and it, it it's him smoking Cohibas. It's him with a, what he calls Tacos El estilo Ultimo which I'm looking at this and I think it is like, adobo chicken onion and cilantro <laughs> that he's staring at and it's just tremendous stuff
3: like... fit for a king my man
0: <laughs> that's a fascinating question like do you think ultimo missed out on an opportunity no i think ultimo dragon won everything i think this is the best possible case scenario for his career i can't imagine it going any better than what he has going on right now and that's without an extended run in new japan or all japan during his peak he's God, he's incredible.
3: I can't think of a more pro wrestling way to eat Mexican food than to get a <laughs> to get adobo chicken tacos and brand them, <laughs> make them part of the package. That's my dude.
2: He is, he is so cool. Like it, it, it's something that like well, we had all the trepidation in 2019, and then it, it's been like the. Uh, the exact opposite and it's just like he's a delight to see around i'm scrolling down and there's a photo of him in a nicely ironed striped shirt with a fan who has an ultimo mask tattoo and he is just corpsing for it like this is a guy who's living his best life (laughs) at every opportunity it's it's amazing and you know
3: i I, I skip i at this point you know if i'm gonna watch everything that goes up on the network i gotta skip a couple of matches but i definitely salute the screen before i do (laughs)
0: <laughs>
3: it's like, i don't have time today i got work in two hours but you keep doing you boss <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, so any other big takes on this cork and i guess we i didn't read off the entire card how dare i uh match zero yoshida and problem dragon versus tomonaka and hoho loon who will promptly go to the announce desk afterwards opening tag match how about this Natural Vibes, King Shimizu, Ut, and Funky Jackie Kamei versus BB Hulk, Kaido Ishida, and Kazuma Sakamoto. That case. Okay, remember a couple of years ago when we were talking about we missed like the hot opening tag match, like the opening trios match. Hello, this match looks like this. Is why I was saying like it's hard for me to pick out like one thing on the show to really love.
0: No, there's there's no dead weight in this six man. This is one, and I've I've talked about this uh, before on the show about when you review every Drangate show for six years. And I just realized I passed my six year anniversary of voice of wrestling.com just a few days ago and and did not make mention of it. So real quick, thank you to everyone at Voicesofwrestling.com of wrestling.com for six years of being your Drangate correspondent. Uh, when you review opening matches in Cork and Hall for this long, you do run out of ways to describe them because they're pretty much all the same match. This one has a little bit of juice to it. And even if the participants weren't who they were. I feel like this match is going to be very intriguing to see whether or not Ho-Ho Loon gets to the announce table in the balcony of Corken Hall <laughs> while this match is taking place. I know my stopwatch is going to be on. I'm going to see if this man can bounce out of the dark match up to the balcony and get his headset on for match one or not. I hope it happens, and I can't wait to find out if it does.
3: Yeah, one of the most thrilling parts of every English-language show for me is the breathless arrival of ho ho loon <laughs> and then the next three minutes explaining to him like what's going on in the match who's in it maybe the rules telling him whether or not he won his match earlier <laughs> it's, really, it's really a total joy and also um just because i don't know what i'm gonna get the chance to say it to you guys again uh this natural vibes lineup is just on with a and you know, I used to think I wasn't that into natural vibes the way other people were. I used to think the dancing bothered me; it didn't. I just wasn't that stoked to watch a a unit with Yashi in it. But now, but now we got we got UT and Jackie Kamai, and like looking at that, like and like everyone's on board. We all across the globe unanimously agree King Shimazu is the best, right? Yes, sir. There's not a negative word to say about this man anymore, no. right? Okay, cool. Not,
0: not he, one that I will tolerate. Not one that I will listen no. to. No,
3: no, I wouldn't. He's a, he, He's an absolute prince. I wouldn't stand for it for a moment. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, and you know, I don't know if uh, if Kamai is like, you know, has he's gotten enough uh, laps in the ring to pick up the pace again? But that like that pairing of UT and Kamai could be that that like real banger opening match formula that uh, that you're talking about. You know, a real pick up the pace kind of thing. Uh, and it's just you know it's another it's like you said like just they can't miss with these lineups uh they can they can take stick anyone in a match and they can't miss right now
2: well they are sticking one person in a match that we haven't talked about match two ten 10-man tag uh it is high-end uh dragon kid kitzke akuda finke kakatora along with uh i wonder if he's going to be a member of high end for the night i know one word of that of that phrase is really <laughs> into brother yashi who is being who is instead saying freelance he is duff pro wrestling which no surprise there but also kobe american pro wrestling which i've which for me saying this i've never heard before in my life
0: i was gonna ask you mike i have absolutely no knowledge of this promotion no i
2: was really (laughs) counting on you guys on that one
0: (laughs) (laughs) i I saw him
2: like promoting stuff but like he also like promotes so much like reggae stuff that was like (laughs) okay like is this gonna be another thing like that but I I guess he's running some shows in in Kobe and Kyoto. I know he's Kyoto-based, but interesting like this happened because he just, like, up and disappeared last year. And, you know, he's coming back around. I mean, the last time he came back around at Yoshino's assistance, we saw how that went along for him. But, you know, he's going to be... He will be the high part of high-end. And they're going against Fuji, Saito, Konda, Kenichiro Rai, Gamma. Five guys you don't want to see a back out.
3: No, no, but uh, you know. Also, looking at the lineup of this match, I just remember now that Kaisuke Okuda still has the the Brave Gate title, which uh, says a lot for how that reign's been going. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I do like Okuda in there with a with a bunch of goons like that. I think Okuda pairs well with this this big goon squad. I've been interested. I've been uh, curious to see what, uh, what they're going to do with Rio Saito because it seemed like they were hinting at some kind of like taking things seriously role for him for a bit there. Um
0: Yeah, and then they listen to this podcast and I said maybe we pump the brakes on that. Maybe actually we don't need another serious Rio Saito run. I think we've done that. I think we're good. We look, would all love to see it, but we actually don't need that in the promotion right now. I'll take
3: it over and over and over. Anytime <laughs> I catch a, a Rio Saito trying hard match, I'm head over heels for it. I don't care what it does for uh for like chemistry or booking plans. <laughs> you can blow everything else out if you give me like three. Taking it seriously, Rio Saito matches a year.
2: I mean, you see the double cross, you know you're in for a good time.
3: Oh yeah, I'm. I, when I see the double cross, I think he's back. <laughs> <laughs> My man has come back. <laughs> you get like one of those a year. It's the uh, it's the new muscular bomb. <laughs>
2: yeah. Because he went for it at Kobe, and I was like, holy shit, he went for the double cross. Okay, I don't remember the last time he did this, yeah. and it was during the Battle Royal, was it? Yeah, and that's right.
0: Like, that was the time Saito tried hard, was at the finish of a Battle Royal, which is so <laughs> weirdly on brand for Saito in 2021.
3: Was that the only time he tried hard? Did I just take that and think they were building a whole program out of it? Did I just see him do it for five minutes and go, yes! <laughs> did I imagine a second time?
2: <laughs> to be fair it was really good but yeah no i think you're extrapolating the closing stretch against misaki mochizuki as oh i guess he's now uh back in serious mode i wonder if he's going to plot the singlet but then he's probably going to go and do like two sireo rockets he's going to complain he's going to just be very loud and we'll have we'll have those five minutes but those might be the five minutes we're getting look
3: i think all of us are holding out hope for that second dreamgate title reign uh I think we're all going to burn out on Shun soon, and we're going we're to <laughs> wait. We're all going to be dying for Rio Sato to come back, take that belt, lose it in his first defense one more time. Can't wait.
0: Uh, John, pleasure having you on the podcast. Unfortunately, we do have to let you go. Um... <laughs> totally understood, Case. <laughs> yeah,
3: I, I it's... completely blew this.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, we all have like our
2: irrational favorites. Mine's awesome. This match, Kanichiro Arai like i think that kenichi or i think we should give him back the triangle gate it's not his fault that he just managed to destroy himself on the firebird splash let me do it again so you know what <laughs> unlike case i am not asking you to leave i
3: knew you'd understand i've seen what you write about kenichi or in those previews i <laughs> knew
2: i could say whatever the hell i wanted about Rio Saito. <laughs> i have no room no room whatsoever to talk uh any other last thoughts on kobe before we move on or not kobe sorry Korkin.
0: Uh, I, I think it's a good-looking show. I'm, I'm excited for it. Outside of that second match, there's really no dead weight here. I think the Speedstar final countdown match could be the best one that Yoshino's had so far. And uh, like I said earlier, despite being kind of underwhelmed by some of this Yamato Kai stuff, I think the no ropes match could be excellent.
3: Yeah, I think up and down this card, you really can't miss. I'm really, you know, I want to have more faith in Yamato in a big spot like this than I do. I really have not been stoked on a non-King of Gate Yamato match in a long time. But, uh, you know, like I said, that one teaser we got of this match was nothing but heat. So I'm hoping they, uh, they knock it out of the park.
2: It's going to be, I, I think that this is something that Yamato is kind, of ta- ta- uh, kind of like tapping into some of the old Yamato tendencies in a way that I really like. And I think that's going to be my hope is that we get to see more 2010 Yamato and not 2019 Yamato. That's my big hope. Or like really 2016 Yamato. That's the one that drove me insane.
0: Yeah. Fingers crossed.
2: Here's hoping. Support. Oh, John, you had something else you wanted to add? I just threw in a here's hoping. (laughs) Here's hoping. Indeed uh support for open the voice gates brought to you by manscape who is the best in men's blow the waist grooming manscape offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels they obsess over their technological developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience manscapes trust by over 2 million men worldwide we have an exclusive offer for our listeners 20 percent off and free shipping with the promo code otvg at manscape.com and in case we were talking about this before before we got on air, it is It's been full blast summer for us. The humidity is out there, but I have to tell you, the Perfect Package 3.0 is the cure for all of our humidity ills.
0: Oh my god, I could not live without it. It was obviously 4th of July weekend this past weekend. I took my lady friend to the beach. We sat in the sand perhaps we listened to uh, an album by the name of impossible sum by Maxwell Stern, which perhaps one of our guests might've played on. Uh, we enjoyed that album as we were sitting by the water and I was confident. I was cool and I was comfortable because before I left the house, I used the lawn mower 3.0, the third generation trimmer that features cutting edge ceramic blades to reduce grooming, reduce grooming accidents because Lord knows I should not be allowed to use sharp objects under my own supervision. But the thing is, this razor has an LED light for a more precise shave. I could do waves, I could do fades, I could do lines, I could do anything I want with this thing. Of course, I just give it a a basic shave, but the possibilities are endless. And I am confident when I am getting lucky because of the manscaped Perfect package 3.0 kit because it doesn't just have the razor. Mike, what else does it have that we constantly preach about?
2: Well, they have the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver. It's kind of a two-stage thing. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing, ball deodorant and moisturizer. Look, Case, you're out on the beach. I complain about the humidity all the time. I even had to go get the dog a special summer haircut because I was like, dude, if I can barely tolerate this, I don't think you can. But let me tell you, one place I can tolerate it it is in the family jewels because the the crop preserver keeps everything all dry down there, and then you also have the crop reviver. It keeps your balls from sweating, smelling, and sticking. And let like let's let's be honest here, it it's something that like I'm surprised that it, it took until Manscaped to come out with a genital uh, deodorant. Like thank you Manscaped because that's something that really ten years ago in Miami I would have loved to have something like that just for my everyday life, but. Now we were able to have that with Manscaped.
0: Don't order the perfect package 3.0 for Mike and I. Yes, of course, when you're getting busy this summer, we do want you thinking of us. We do want you thinking. I don't.
2: I don't want you thinking of me at all. <laughs> when you
0: are getting it on this summer, I want you thinking about Mike Spears. I want you thinking about Casal. I want you thinking of the Open the Voice Gate podcast. I want you in your moments of intimacy thinking, damn, that was a good show this week. I really liked what they had to say on Kobe Sambo Hall. And you do that. You have that confidence by ordering the perfect package 3.0, 20% off and free shipping with the code OTVG at manscaped.com. It's 20% off and free shipping. This could change your life with the promo code OTVG at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.
2: Please, everyone, do not think of me when you're a mid-coitist. Yeah. Just, 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 like, the, I, I'm not here for that. I'm not here to be thought of like that. Too late. You can think of case. Yeah, too late for that. <laughs> too late. Yeah, yeah. sorry.
0: <laughs> if I'd known. <laughs> John, real quick before we talk about Masaudi Yoshino, uh, you want to share a summer highlight with the Open the Voice Gate listeners? I know you've been a busy man this summer. It's already July. Anything you would like to share uh, a, a real highlight from this summer?
3: Well, for starters, a not highlight is uh, I'm locked up in the hottest, smallest room in my house with no air conditioning. And I thought you guys were doing that read directly to me. I don't have the confidence to go uh, face my girlfriend downstairs. And I don't think there's enough crop reviver on the fucking planet for me. But, uh, this time <laughs> around, I've done a lot of, ever since, um, you know, I got the, ever since I got vaccinated, I've been doing probably an irresponsible amount of traveling. I just got back from, uh, from a few days in San Juan. And uh, I've got a great tan going. <laughs> it's a shame. No one can see me. But if you could, you'd think I look fantastic and slim and glistening. Um, yeah, that's really all i really, you know, that was cool. Went to L.A. for a bit to visit some friends and traveling, going and doing the tour of seeing people I haven't seen in a year and a half.
0: This is good shit. This is good shit. Of course, next time John is on the podcast, we will be doing a video feed uh, so everybody can see John's tan glistening. Only if I'm
3: TV. fresh off. A tropical vacation. Of course. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm pacey <tasty> and ill-looking.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mike, are you ready to talk about Masato Yoshino?
2: Yeah, let's get into it. So, split episode this week. We are talking about Masato Yoshino. Welcome to the Speed Star Part 2 a portion of the program where we are talking about the career and retrospective of the cornerstone of the Dragon System, Masato Yoshino, and we have three really kind of interesting matches that we chose for this this uh this episode. And I think like the the interesting thing, like like just like off the top, like takeaways about this. I feel like that out of the matches we've chose, you kind of got to see the best of Yoshino in a lot of different ways out of these three matches. Yeah, yeah I
0: would completely concur with that. Sorry to cut you off there, John. Uh, but it's uh it's really good almost as just a straight primer pack for Yoshino. If you this is almost one of those, if you've never seen Yoshino before, I think you could watch these three matches and get a very easy understanding for who he is.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. Especially, um, I the you guys picked from a couple matches from 2010 which is one of my, outside of DGUSA, is one of my blinder spots for Yoshino's career, which was a real joy, and uh, I thought those contrasted very nicely with the match I chose from 2013 against DOI. Um, it was cool to see.
2: So the three matches we will be talking about, there'll be links to the Dragon Network in the show notes. All these matches are on the network in various lengths and cuts. We have Kobe World 2010 from July 11th, 2010. Yamato defending the Open the Dragon Gate title against Masato Yoshino earlier that year. I'm just going off my notes. I don't know where we're going to go in here, but probably this will be the one that's worth talking about first, just chronologically. Uh, Dead or Alive 2010, -2010, 5-5-2010, Nanawa-style elimination tag. World 1 of Doi, Yoshino, Hulk, and Naoki Tenazaki versus the Warriors team of Shima, Gamma, Ginki Horiguchi, and Ryo Saito. And then... The match that John picked from Gate Destiny 2013, 11-3 2013, Masato Yoshino defending the Open the Dream Gate belt against Naruki Doi. And I guess like would be, I I feel like just for flow, probably be easiest talking about Dead or Alive first. So unless you all want to talk about another match first.
0: No, that works for me.
2: Yeah. All right. So as just mentioned, this is from Dead or Alive 5-5 2010. Nanawa style elimination rules match. For those, since they they really don't do Nanawa style or like loser revive matches anymore, for those who are unaware, Nanawa style are a over-the-top rope pinfall submission. But the rules about this match is that you start off with one member from each team. So if people remember the Wakiama tornado winning tag, kind of like that. And then every minute someone else comes in until everyone else is there. And I think it's after everyone else is in the ring that's when the over-the-top rope rules are in play, right?
0: Uh, that sounds correct. Unfortunately, uh, other than Jay, we would be the two people that would probably know that, and I'm not 100% sure, but let's say They have a lot of these styles. Like, they had the Yoshida style, the Nanawa
2: style, the Nagoya style, now they have Wakiyama style. Like, there's a lot of rule sets that they had. Like, there's the one that is that, they had like a batter's box that people ran up in, like I think that was the Yoshida style one, but they, they they had a lot of it. I'm just because of when the eliminations happened. I'm leaning towards that they didn't they didn't have any eliminations, so everyone was in the ring for this. And I guess like off the top, uh, John, I know that this is kind of like a little bit of a dead period for you, at least with like your awareness of the, the company at that time. What were your opinions on World One coming in as someone who's mainly watching DTUSA?
3: Well, it was tough to it was tough to understand the dynamic. Uh like I'm I'm very familiar with World One and I've seen, you know, intermittent shows. I've definitely seen other shows on cards we're talking about. Uh or other matches on cards we're talking about. But um you know, is World 1 just kind of feels like uh, something akin to an all star team at this point um, with the lineup they roll out here. And as it's going on, like, I know how World 1 is, like, sort of perceived in DGUSA at the time. Uh, you know, I know how, like, Yoshino and Doi are perceived, and Hulk is booted out. or I don't remember if that coincides with how things work in Dragon Gate proper with what's going on in DGUSA. But, um, in this scenario here, Warriors are the bigger babyface team. No. At this point,
2: kind of, because you have Shima there. Right. These were both face teams, but you kind of had like a newer generation face team with Doi, Yoshino, Tanazaki and Hulk and then you had people from like the first two classes and Warriors and even like in Niigata and Nagoya. Like that's a that's a crowd that I feel like that throughout the years they like their tried and true, and even though like Yoshino's on the ascent here, and Hulk, as uh, Hulk is someone that next year who will have his big heel turn and things will change around. Both it, it World One was in a weird spot at this time, and it's something that really up until its end, at least I, it, it's of my belief like a, a really interesting collection of members towards the end, like Mark Haskins. Visibly at ringside doing second duties here, but it did feel like that they were kind of at the space between the Doi tile reign and the Yoshino tile reign before they had like all the drama around the triangle gate. It did feel like that they were a, a little bit aback in comparison to warriors, I would say
0: I think it could almost be deciphered as just what you value in this promotion because you know for me more of a work rate guy and someone who when we talked about the best units of all time which i don't uh, i don't know if that was a week or two ago i don't remember when that was but you know world one for me these are all guys that can work i don't even think when we talked about world one on the show a few weeks ago that i mentioned naoki tanazaki who was awesome in this match and then you have doi yoshino and hulk but if you're someone who values uh, the more character side or the more charismatic side of dragon gate warriors in this specific lineup with Saito and with Genki and with Shima in particular that seems like a winning combination it certainly seemed like in this match that the crowd was more favorable towards warriors than they were world one
3: yeah it was tough not to just take my perceptions of either faction from DGUSA and apply them here where warriors is like as over as can be because they have Shima um but yeah uh and also like you mentioned Neki Tanazaki, like Everything I know of him is when he's already Mr. QQ or whatever, you know what I mean? So, watching him just crush it back then, uh, absent the future kind of jokey name and gimmick, uh, is also cool to see. Uh, I thought Tanazaki ripped it up in this match.
0: Tanazaki's one of those guys that, you know we talked about Ultimo earlier and just kind of how everything fell in his direction. We're living the best possible Ultimo dragon life right now. Tanazaki seems like a guy where maybe we've gotten the worst case scenario for him with just uh, the way he was pushed at times, not really sticking that, you know, bouncing from Dragon Gate to El Dorado and then coming back and then leaving again. And now he's stuck doing Caliga pro and dove pro where, you know, he's a guy that, You know, I think about how dire the All Japan Junior division is. And if Tanazaki showed up, I think he'd be just such a tremendous addition to that division. Same could be said for Noah. I think there's a lot of open weight guys in Big Japan that he would work well with. It's easy to forget just how talented this guy is. And mind you, still is because he's fallen so far off the radar uh, in respect to what he was doing in Dragon Gate. But he uh, was not the MVP of this match, I will say, up front. My... you know, the MVP of this match was Masaudi Yoshino. It's why I picked it. But watching Tanazaki, especially if you're uh, not familiar with this era of his career, is a real delight and well worth investing time into just to watch his performance.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I'll save my, my pick from when, we're, from when we're breaking it down a little more. But I actually was surprised. I did not think Yoshino was the MVP of this match.
0: Well, that is a very interesting development. Let me let me take the reins here just because this is the match that I picked. Uh Mike beautifully described the rules of this match to the best of his ability. And I, I do think when the book of Dragon Gate is written, which Perhaps is an idea that's been floated out there. I think we now have to have a glossary for all of these gimmick matches. We need to nail down the (laughs) rules of the Nanawa style elimination match. The story of this promotion cannot be told without the official rules for the Nanawa style elimination match. (laughs) But what you get here is two teams of four. Uh, I think it's very interesting to look at the entry order here for World One in relation to Masadi Oshino, where Doi starts the match, he starts it with Shima. Tanazaki comes in he's a house of fire from the start and it is Masato Yoshino not entering last but entering third it is BB Hulk who kind of rounds out world one here and looks like the bigger star at least on his entrance compared to Yoshino and I think as we go through the the next decade of Yoshino's career leading to now this is probably the last match unless he's specifically paired with Mochizuki in a junction three match where you can look at Yoshino on a multi-man team and say, this man is not the biggest star of his unit. In this case, it was BB Hulk. I think as we talk about, uh, what would progress into 2010 with the match that Mike picked that would change. But for now, it's very interesting to me to see this dichotomy of, you know, Again, to me, Hulk was the guy in this match, and they were using it as momentum to build Yoshino up for what was to come, and I thought they did a tremendous, tremendous job of that. Uh, It's interesting to note a few things here, just a few moves that I liked. One, and Mike, this can go to you uh, for clarification here. Speed Muscle did a heart attack lightning spiral deal, which I don't remember them ever doing that that kicked ass is that something that i've just forgotten about or is that something that they busted out here uh for a special occasion
2: it's something that was like a big match move along the same lines of the doomsday sling blade that like you would not see much later into their career when they weren't really tagging as much there but yeah no the heart attack uh lightning spiral like the the one thing about going through these matches that's got me is like The Lightning Spiral is such a cool move. I really hope he hands it down. Like, I I know we've said that Matt Seidel has informally adopted it. Maybe he got it here, but it's just something that it looks so cool, like when he did that here with that heart attack uh, version of it.
0: So just to take you guys through the eliminations, Doi was the first one out. He was pinned by Ryo Saito and Genki Horiguchi. Tanazaki then eliminated Horiguchi. Shima eliminated Naoki Tanazaki with a nasty-looking Meteora. B.B. Hulk eliminated Rio Saito, and then we got down to the nitty-gritty in this match. It was Hulk and Yoshino versus Shima and Gamma at this point. Hulk winds up on the apron. Masao Yoshino goes to attack Shima. Shima sidesteps, and Yoshino dropkicks Hulk, who barely manages to hang on to the apron. He's grasping the rope with one hand, holding on as tight as he can, and... In true Masato Yoshino fashion, this man uh, does exactly what Rose did not do in the Titanic. He tries to pull Hulk <laughs> up. He tries to save Hulk to the best of his abilities. And then Gamma kicks Yoshino's hand away and Hulk is quickly eliminated. It reminded me of the spot years later where Masao Yoshino stood in front of, I believe it was a pumping bomber that Shingo was attempting to hit Tozawa with, where he took a bullet for his teammate almost literally. It is uh, so representative to me of the Drangate family, of what Masato Yoshino meant to this promotion, and it's a spot that really stood out to me. That left us with Yoshino versus Shima and Gamma. We don't really get a ton on the Drangate network of the Yoshino versus Gamma interactions. We kind of cut to Yoshino and Shima being the final two. Shima's busted open at this point, and we get about eight or nine minutes of Masato Yoshino and Shimo just killing it doing tricked-out grappling, doing big high spots, doing uh, nifty counters, everything you would want from Shima and Yoshino. It happens in this match, and Masato Yoshino puts this man away at the very end, 27 minutes, uh, the match time, with a a lightning spiral off the top rope. It is a monster performance for Masato Yoshino, two definitive big pinfalls in one of the biggest shows of the year, and it is one of my favorite Masato Yoshino performances
3: yeah this uh this i thought was tremendous um the only the only thing i didn't love is i felt like things really didn't get going until everyone was in the ring uh one thing that i really hope happens whenever you get these like staggered i guess like war game style entrances to a, a big four on four match is playing off the dynamics of who's in the ring who's entering when they do um And there could have been missed context for me, but I felt like that wasn't really uh, there. But once everyone was in the ring, it's like all fireworks, uh, all the eliminations are super cool. I actually thought uh, when Shima and Gamma start working together, that's when this match goes into outer space. It's so funny how the only time I like Gamma is when he's with Shima, and I love him when he's with Shima. Like if I only saw Shima Gamma matches, I would think Gamma is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Imagine that. Imagine if I felt that way. <laughs> oh, <good boy. laughs> Can you imagine oh,
0: boy. going
3: through life feeling that way, <laughs> saying it to other people? But uh, Shima is just such a boss in this match, and in that final, and like there's so many moving parts. There's there's one stretch where like I wrote it down where like uh, BB gets uh Saito with like a spin kick off the top rope that like just levels him does his like you know miss the kick spin around kick to Gamma goes for the backflip drop kick on Shima Gamma gets his knees up on that when he goes to land on Gamma and I was like there's so many moving parts to this sequence that just happened in like six seconds like my head was spinning and then that last stretch with uh Yoshino and Shima is so great like We're, like, 20-something minutes into the match, and because there were so many people in the match, they still have so many big bombs left in the holster. Like, all their huge spots are still left to pull from. And it's just bomb, bomb. Uh, And uh, there's there's one stretch when Shima, he, like, gets him up for, like, the top rope, like, perfect driver type deal. And he, like, holds him up in place for a while, taunts the crowd... And just pops his hips to get Yoshino over at the last second, and I thought he looked like the king of the world when he did that. Um, but yeah, this is about Yoshino, so I should say, uh, <laughs> Yoshino is fantastic in that closing stretch. Uh, he uh, he's you know he doesn't miss, uh, especially. In, I think the thing is, it's funny that we're gonna we're gonna talk about two um, Dream Gate matches of his, but I really think what's most special about Yoshino is how often he acts like the glue in matches like this. Uh, and that's especially the case here. And he's just as good in a 10 minute, eight minute final sequence with Shima at the end. Uh, really great pick. I thought it was fantastic.
0: I have two quick, two quick thoughts and then I'll get to you, Mike. Sorry, but I, I want to make these now while well. they're a little more uh, relevant. One, John, if you have not seen Shima versus Yoshino from Kobe world, 2004, the final Tori show, cannot recommend it enough because they essentially have uh, a condensed singles match doing exactly what they did in this match. And it's, uh, it's, I almost picked it this week, actually, and I went with the multi-man instead. But John brings up an interesting point about Yoshino being the glue in these matches, because it it almost contradicts everything we've been told by uh old-timey veterans by wrestling logic that this man who is is faster than anyone on the planet when it comes to running the ropes this smaller guy this junior heavyweight this guy that can be perceived as a high spot machine at times is so often the glue of these matches and with all due respect to bb hulk who i thought was tremendous in this match with all due respect to shima who was very good and gamma who was very good this match would live or die by what yoshino was doing and because yoshino put on such another worldly performance here it lived up to these incredible heights this incredibly high standard of the Dragon gate multi-man tag and i think that speaks to masato yoshino's existence really that he is someone who was is constantly bucking stereotypes and and disproving trends and it's well on display in this match
2: yeah, it, it's something where, like, the sequence uh, with him and Shima, like, this is probably, like, some of the 10 most fun mo- minutes you could have watching a Dragon Gate match. But the the way that they, that the two of them were in so uh, lockstep in some of these sequences they had, I mean, they went from, like, a- at least having the awareness enough to go, okay, uh, Shima's gonna go for the crossfire. Nope, that's gonna be a pen. Oh, he's, gonna go through a, a, he's going for a fine Oh, he's going to make a pin there. Oh, looks like Yoshino's going for the lightning spiral. Nope. Uh, that's going to be something that he's going to turn into something too. And it's just something that, like, you could tell both the familiarity, which you, you'd expect at this point because these guys have been wrestling with each other at this point for at least 10 years. But you also could tell, like, that they have, like, they, they put a lot of thought into care into this sequence here because, like, it's like, all right, you go do this, but I'm going to, f- but knowing how this is and how the, and how anatomy works, I can do this out of it. And it, and it pretty much turns a finishing stretch into some of the most compelling, like trading of holds and going for, for pen attempts like flash pens. That it, I'm trying to think the last time in Dragon Gate that I saw like that compelling of a sequence.
0: Yeah, it's really, it's really tough to beat. And I, I don't know. I guess I'd probably go to that world match that I just mentioned uh, of a marquee Shima versus Yoshino match, kind of the essential one there is. But something that I picked up on, especially through the Drangit USA Rewind and Rewatch, was, my God, Shima and Yoshino, when they get in the ring with one another, lockstep every single time. These guys know exactly what they're doing with one another. It's fitting that those were the final two in this match. Yoshino obviously getting the big pin there. And those are my thoughts on this match. I think it is well worth your time. Hard to assign a star rating on it because I watched a clip version, but you mm-hmm. will not you will not feel like you are losing anything big when you watch it on the Drangate network. You'll lose uh, maybe a minute or two of the match, but for a 27-minute match, a lot of it is there.
3: I imagine this clip kicks ass. If you whatever fat there is to find in this match, if you cut it out, this must just be your eyes must be rolling around in your head watching it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I watched the uh, uncut version of it. I still had that DVD laying around and uh, it just was like a truly, like I, it's hard to say like what the cut was given what y'all saw and what I saw, but it's just like a, one of the more fun nano attacks. It's it's something that like watching a fool, like it's it's a notebook match by far and it's something that, again, like that last stretch of Shima and Yoshino, like I'm looking right now, like, and and this was a match that was protected for so long that this match was not happening unless it was a tournament or a title match. But these two guys, it's something that I'm looking at this. And since Dragon Gate formed, they had eight singles matches, including one in Dragon Gate USA. And the only one that was without a title match was the one in Dragon Gate USA. Like, Like they knew what they had with this, And these two guys knew what they had with each other that, just kind of came together and had a really special final sequence here
0: well said mike let's talk about what came just two months after this nanowatt style elimination match
1: in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we hype ourselves up thinking maybe i can pull a Ken Griffey jr rookie card but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates it's all just a shot in the dark until now Off again, that's arena club.com/slash VOW net, arena club.com/slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.
2: Right. So, in some synchronicity, case and I did not like a, like, let's talk about the summer of 2010, the next match and the next pay per view. For Dragon Gate was Kobe World 2010, made a by Yamato defending the Open the Dream Gate title against Masato Yoshino. This was something that Case, when we were like doing some prep, trying to figure out things, uh, trying to figure out like, okay, what was like happening leading into this very uh, conspicuous title build, especially for Kobe World, that best can be determined as he built up a whole lot of momentum and then beat Takuya Sugawara to get this title shot before he got to face Masato, uh, got to face, uh, Uh, Yamato and the Kobe world main event.
0: This is unfortunately the triple H versus Chris Jericho equivalent and Dragon Gate uh, from their match at WrestleMania 18. (laughs) Because when you think of world 2010, it's Shingo versus Hulk in a hair versus hair match the same way at WrestleMania 18. It's rock versus Hogan. This is a very good match, but uh, no one, no one remembers this. And it's weird to think that, for a long time, this was kind of the the signature marquee Masato Yoshino singles performance. But yeah, it's it's forgotten about it. It would become you know almost a five star match game level question of what was the main event of World 2010. You don't think of Yamato versus Yoshino. Part of that just being the legacy of Shingo versus Hulk and what it's become and how it's lived on for the past decade, but also the route to getting here is very strange. You have the clear and concise elevation with the multi-man tag we just talked about, but the next step is that singles match versus Sugawara, which is fucking weird. It, it's just the only way to describe it is it's a really weird build to get here, but it's a very satisfying conclusion with how everything uh plays out.
2: You know... And it's something that... Oh, go ahead, John. Oh, I was just
3: going to say it, it's it was... um it was interesting uh, going back and listening to you talk about the Shingo and BB Hulk match because when this match was selected, I uh, I was like, well, I've absolutely seen that because I've seen uh, both the big Shingo and BB Hulk matches uh, multiple times. And midway through this match, I was like, oh, I've never seen this match in my life, <laughs> which means multi- I, I don't know if I maybe was on a different file but that at least a few times i've put on kobe world watching Shingo bb hulk and not watched the main event <laughs> but you know so i'm glad i did now
2: and it's something that like 2010 is such like a peculiar year for the company like that this pro wrestling festival was a like the the title matches on the show you have Uh, the aforementioned Dream Gate match, they have Nesca versus Mochi Fuji for the Twin Gate belts. Like that's a match. I'm like, okay, that probably rolled my butt, but but like, like you're saying, like, I know I've seen this show many times, but there's a lot of stuff. Like when you like work your way down the the card, like this is during the Dragon Gate versus uh, Osaka pro feud that they had in 2010, where it was the warrior struggle gate team of Shima Gamma, Kiki Horiguchi defeating back black Buffalo. My, my guy, everyone's guy. (laughs) Uh, the bodyguard, and then Tiger's Mask. That was fourth from the top. That was the that was the third highest title match on the show. And then like the rest of it, I mean, Tozawa came back from America to team with Nosawa on the show. Uh, Duel of the Butcher and Aki Bono defeated a, in a t- four-on-two match, defeated Jackson, Florida, Johnson, Florida, Stalker Chikawa, and Sashi Hoko Machine. And Mark Haskins opens up the show.
0: Yeah, it's a really odd uh, world show now, I, I don't know how much of this is available on the Dragon Network because I know these Kobe worlds are clipped down uh, to such an extreme degree. The four way tag is really fun. And I, I will always remember uh, Pac doing a twisting moonsault corkscrew dealio. Uh, springboarding from the top rope to the floor onto everybody. And the the Gyora cameraman basically shoots it from ground level. So it looks like he uh, is about to touch the ceiling and it's a tremendous, tremendous spot there. And then the Kineska versus Mochi Fuji match, as you would expect is very good, but yeah, this is primarily a one match show. This is Hulk versus Shingo. And then, you know, whatever you think of Yamato versus Yoshino, which I'll say now before Mike Foley breaks it down, Uh, I think it's a very good match. I don't think it's the best match they ever had with one another. I don't think it's uh, within, you know, if I was making, especially for Yamato, a best of Yamato Dreamgate matches, I don't think this is making the first 10 or 12 matches. I think it's sort of a second or third tier Yamato Dreamgate match, and the same could be said for Yoshino. But I do think it's a very good match with, like I said earlier, a very satisfying finish.
2: Yeah, it, it's real interesting because you're talking about the state of Yamato. He won the Dream Gate at uh, their show at Sumo Hall, their last show at Sumo Hall from Naruki Doi. Leading up to it, it was his first run with the title belt. He won it in his first title shot, which is pretty remarkable. Then Yoshino, as we were talking about, it's not that he kind of stumbles into this title shot. It just is so weird how it happened. And then, and then the match itself, uh, this match went 31 minutes on the network. I, I think they on this file they had most of it up in full but yeah it's something where it's interesting more so for me watching this match 11 years after the fact being like oh Yamato the champion and at the start of this match Yamato is more over than Yoshino but by the end of it the crowd was just molten for the finishing stretch here and you know it's something where like you 2010 Yamato is probably my favorite Yamato, so that hit like me in a special spot here. So I think I'm higher than you on that case, but you know it's just like a really fascinating match. It was a pretty standard uh, opening with this, but the the big thing about it was that he was uh, working out. uh, Yoshino was working from underneath until there was a really sick uh, ramp up into his tope suicida, and somehow we picked three matches that had three. Uh, or that two of the matches had two completely insane tope suicidas from uh yoshino like where either of y'all when when we've seen these tope suicidas you're like god yoshino no wonder you've had like such issues later on because you're your is you're basically like a cruise missile that's just colliding and then falling flat on your neck on the ground it was just and and from that moment in this match it just kicked into an entirely different gear
3: there's multiple moments in this and especially the next match we're going to talk about where i go Watching this feels a lot different now, knowing (laughs) what's going on with my man's neck than it probably did back then. Uh, And yeah, that dive you're talking about is certainly one of them. Uh, He he isn't shy about landing on that neck.
0: John, in terms of Yamato real quick, I know this is uh, the Masato Yoshino portion of the podcast, but you were talking earlier about how Yamato in recent years hasn't done a ton for you. Mike mentioned this is probably his favorite era of Yamato. Is there an era of his career that particularly jumps out for you?
3: Um, Yamato, when I first uh, jump into watching Dragon Gate, I think is really exciting. I start like kind of keeping track on a regular basis and not just reading about it on the internet uh, like 2016, 17, 16 ish. Um, but the period actually that, uh, immediately preceding that, uh, Mad Blanky Yamato, uh, the later title reign where he takes it off ricochet that whole period. Uh, I really think he pulls it together. I love heel Yamato. Um, I love this period where I'm, I'm more familiar with the DG USA matches where he's, he's, A monster he's fantastic in those first couple especially uh dg usa shows but um mad blankie boss Yamato in like 1314 I think I might love the most
0: I concur very good opinion
3: hell yeah I win
2: (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, it's something
2: where like he has so many distinctive phases that like the almighty uh mad blankie Yamato is just so fucking cool at a certain point, you're just like, I can't help but love this guy, this, and then, and like the 2009, like leading up until like, like that term really up until junks three, he just like the, the way that he works his holds and the, like, and I'm not a big uh, grab a hold person, but the, the way that like all of his knee and ankle work on Yoshino paid off in this match it makes me so frustrated for how his uh, tri Vanguard title reign was because it felt like that he would do like all this work and it didn't matter at all. And he was just doing it to eat time because in this one, all of like the opening grapple grappling played into the first attempt that Masato Yoshino made for the lightning spiral where his knee buckled and he wasn't able to get Yamato up for it. And that's probably why I enjoy this period. But like the Mad Blanky period, like it's one in one eighth.
3: Yeah, when Yamato wrestles in this style, I think it's very opponent dependent, which is why often I just prefer he act like an asshole to cover all his bases um even <laughs> in this match when he's going after Yoshino's uh leg for that long stretch i was like oh no he's doing this for long enough that i'm going to have to pay attention to whether or not Yoshino's selling and there's nothing i like to do less when i'm watching a dreamgate title match than uh be like hey is this guy selling the leg <laughs> there's no less fun way to watch a match yoshino is great about it and it does tell a great story in the match um, so in this instance, it worked out very well.
0: Well said, Mike. Is there any uh, any specific reason outside of historical significance that you went with this match?
2: Well, I mean, my fair period Yamato. Yeah. To be honest, like it's it's something where like I find Yamato's like two thousand nine until Junction Three is so fascinating because how like as I've said, how divergent it is from. How he was when he turned heel, and then how he was when he became company ace. So, uh, I think these two guys actually have like surprisingly good chemistry, and this was a match that, like, a- as we've been talking about, Kobe World 2010 is probably not remembered a lot for good reason, but like, it's something that that for me, it's like, all right, I knew this match was really good. I knew this match was the coordination of Masato Yoshino, and I, a- and in my belief, these two guys have great chemistry. Th- this is going to be. A good selection here. Do I think this is the best match of theirs they probably had throughout their career? Probably not, but I feel like the historical significance. Uh, it, uh, I don't think we mentioned this yet. Yoshino wins his first dream gate in this match. Uh, it was a soul Nassi and Tekai after the Ude Yoshino and two Torbellinos. But like the stuff, like their chemistry, like the, the, there was like this insane Galleria coming out of Yoshino's Ude Yoshino. And I know we've talked about this case. That is the move for his somewhat destino move that we always kind of go like what's the name for that move for a while it's like is that other space i don't think it's other space it's the udi yoshino but the Galera that like and that was like the first one in the match that he hit out of the udi yoshino and then just like the finishing stretch is so molten that it would be almost a disservice not to talk about this match when talking about the career of masato yoshino
0: my final thoughts on this as I, I agree with all those points. There is I I've mentioned this on other podcasts before, notably uh, the very long dragon system, greatest wrestler ever podcast that Mike and I did with Alan Farrell, where Alan countered with Jeff Jarrett to this, uh, this statement by me, but I do think Masadi Oshino Yoshino probably has the best kick out at two of any wrestler I've ever seen. And this is a match where that is on full display a lot of deep two counts with Yoshino then just throwing not even his shoulder just throwing his body up at the air and kicking out right before three and that seems like such a basic uh, basic instinct that he has it's amazing that more wrestlers at least in my opinion don't make more out of their kickass because Yoshino was getting every single thing he could out of those little spots and it was highly highly enjoyable
3: yeah, especially after that second Galleria, that even knowing who wins this match, I almost bit. Um, the, uh, another thing with this match, uh, right out the gate, it does something that I wish more Yoshino singles matches did, where they begin with a grappling sequence where you assume Yamato has the advantage, and then the second Yoshino gets free, he runs the ropes and knocks Yamato on his ass. And that dynamic in Styles... Is always there when you have Yoshino in a match. His 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 advantage is running the ropes. That's what he does, um, and it's used sometimes. And I even wonder if it was intentional um, when Ben Kay had the belt and it was uh, and he defended against Yoshino. The match ends. Well, it goes into its closing stretch when Ben Kay spears Yoshino out of a rope running sequence, and that might be the last major singles match Yoshino ever has. The last big epic he has, at least. And I wonder if that was intentional. But in this match, he does that, and then immediately after, Yoshino goes after his legs, or uh, Yamato goes after his legs to ground him and slow him down. And that's such an easy, simple, like story that establishes the dynamic between them. Uh, I wish every Yoshino, or I wish more Yoshino matches played off that. Um, And like you guys said before, the closing sequence—it comes after two long trading elbow stretches, where I started to really feel the length of the match. And then when Yoshino goes in that last run, it's magic. The crowd's going wild. He's moving at like hyperspeed through all those moves. It's one of the coolest little final like offensive like finishing stretches I've I can remember watching in a while.
2: No, totally. It, it, it's something that I, I think one of my big takeaways of both the DGUSA series and us looking into the career of Masato Yoshino is it's not just like the, the speed star fastest wrestler in the world thing is not just like a nice thing that he kind of pulls out and you see it when he does like the drive by drop kick and running the ropes. But like the way that he incorporates that into his finishing stretches, like I'm trying to, I'm struggling right now with with the exception of like the finality that you can get out of like Mochizuki kicking your head off, like, uh, like the impact and the fluidity of Yoshino's final stretches might be one of my favorites in company history. Like, I think you're dead on about that, John.
3: Yeah, it's like death by a thousand cuts if every cut involves somebody doing a flip and dropping you on your head.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's uh, probably a good place, John, to segue into your match. You had the Gate of Destiny 2013 main event of, this time it is Masato Yoshino defending the Dream Gate against Naruki Doi of Matt Blinky. Uh John, what was your, uh, of course, Doi and Yoshi, they're, they're synonymous with each other, both as a tag team and as a as rivals. What was your inspiration for choosing this match? So, I, uh, my,
3: Mishino is really the, the thing that brings me into following the promotion as avidly as I do now. Um, and a lot of that is following whenever, is, is seeing whenever he and Doi would pop up somewhere else and uh this match the first time i saw this match this was the match that made me go like okay i'll go watch consecutive years of whatever i can find of dragon gate like this one this one does it and i don't even think doi and Yoshino are amongst the best opponents the other one has necessarily i think this might be this is the best match between them i'm aware of um but i don't know there's so much here i was uh i was just such a but like I'm such a fan of their dynamic. I'm such a fan of Speed Muscle, obviously. And this is the first time I've watched it in years. And I was really glad that it held up the way it does in my memory.
0: This is right around the time that I start following the promotion in real time. I know by Final Gate 2013, I'm aware that event is happening and I'm watching it as soon as it's made available on Daily Motion gate of destiny 2013. I know I've watched the show. I know I've seen this match. I don't have super strong memories of it. So when John sent this, I was like, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen this match. I, you know, I, I remember being, you know, all right. Cause sometimes and Yoshino singles matches don't necessarily click the way you'd want them to. Uh, and then I watched this and went, holy shit, this is so good. And I don't know why I don't have this listed in any of my spreadsheets, match recommendations, whatever. This might be the best Doi Yoshino singles match there ever has been. I was blown away at just how good this was.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I think this is the definitive singles match between the two of them. I love the fact that... I, I both love and hate the, fa- the versions of the shows we get on the network because they're all... Cut for gayo TV. It's also it's all the stuff that they aired later. But the the way that they did it with this one, because you get to have like the you get to have like the music video package, which is one of those things that I know I could salute the screen and fast forward a little bit. But I'm just a sucker for the uh, big match uh, promo packages that they did, and the way that they, like they built it up in a way, like showing first, like this is how uh, Naruki Doi has betrayed Masato Yoshino for so very long. And like going through the World One turn, the World One International mm-hmm. turn, and then the build up to the match itself. I was like, alright. This is like an encapsulation that unless you're gonna then like intersperse this with speed muscle stuff. Like this is the story of Naruki Doi and Masada Yoshino. Like you can copy and paste this like into Speed Stark Final and it would be perfect there. And then the match itself, like they 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 must have found something uh, on this night with it because I have over COVID, like my my two big things that I've really picked up wrestling-wise is Gran Hamada is one of the 15th best wrestlers of all time. <laughs> and two, Naruki Doi might be a wrestling genius just for the way that he thinks about wrestling and the moves he did. Like, Case, do you remember a time in a big match where Naruki Doi hits a pop-up stunner out of nowhere? Because he did this in his match. I was like, okay, Doi, that worked perfectly. That's awesome. You uh, You're someone who watches all the tape possible, I guess.
0: Yeah, no, I I mean, Doi is noted as being a giant American wrestling fan. And my understanding is someone that still actively watches, if not seeks out a lot of wrestling, at least the last time I heard that that was the case. And I I wouldn't expect a change. So you have a match like this that uh, it was just, uh, you know, uh, borderline brilliant at times, which is probably underselling it. I should probably just give it that stamp of approval. I don't really want to step on John's toes and talk about two specific spots, but I'm going to, because I want to be sure that I, that I mentioned them because I think they represent sort of the opposite ends of the spectrum and Dragon gate. And for them to be in the same match, I thought was so appealing where you have this spot about three quarters of the way through the match where Doi hits a German suplex off the top rope where Yoshino comes about two inches away from landing on his head. He ends up landing stomach first and then follows that up immediately with a Doi fives and a Bakatari sliding kick. And it's, you know, just this flash of movement and energy and adrenaline. And it's unbelievable. It took my breath away watching it. And then just a few minutes later, Doi is locked in deep into Masada Yoshino's soul Naciente. He's able to get out of that move and hit the muscular bomb, but then Doi can't pin Yoshino because he's selling his arm, and it's just this mindfuck of emotion and exhaustion, and as a viewer, I was completely sucked into what they were doing, and seeing those two little sequences in, in such a short amount of time, I think speaks to just the absurd talent that these guys have. They have so many tools at their disposal, and this is a match where they used all of them.
3: I'm so glad you mentioned that Sol Naciente into the muscular bomb sequence Um, and the German suplex before it earlier when I was saying there was something in this match that scared me. That's it. That was gnarly. Uh, um, the, uh, the, The Sol Naciente, so the muscular bomb, I love the muscular bomb. It's one of my favorite moves of all time. I thought I remembered every time Doi's done one in the past 10 years. So every time he teases it, i don't remember this match that well i was like okay yoshino gets out of it again and when he hits the one in this match i've seen this match before and i was like oh shit because i completely forgot it happened uh and it, it got in like the cell on the sol naciente when he's working to get through it working to get through it on the rest of this title reign by and large people just tap out to the sol naciente uh doi's fight to get out of it into a muscular bomb and he's the heel. And that's the other thing I love about this match. Like, I feel like, you know, Doi is such a dynamic character. Yoshino, and I love him, he's more, probably my favorite in the company, is not, which is fine in pro wrestling. He's a, especially, once once he turns face for the last time, he's this stoic, hero, icon guy, beats up people or doesn't. And Doi exists around him and he had just uh, turned on Yoshino and the prior Summer Adventure Tag League. And I'm not sure if this is explicitly what's happening, but the impression I get from this match is he's watching his, like, life is, like, you know, his longtime partner eclipse him. It's a second title reign. And Yoshino seems like he's in control for a bunch of this match. At one point, Yoshino gets hit in the head with a wrench and then just gets up and arm drags Doi. Uh you know, like he's, he's got it under control. And it almost feels like, despite all the heel stuff Doi does in the lead up to this, in a small way, he's like the sympathetic character in this match. He got eclipsed by his old buddy. And no matter what he does, even with all of Matt Blanky out there, he just can't get past him. And I thought that, and that's, that, that Soul Naciente and that muscular bomb like sums it all
2: up so well. Uh, real great stuff
0: let me just say about this uh oh go ahead mike go
2: ahead i was gonna say i just love the fact that like with this storyline, because i think you're absolutely right about this john like there's certainly a way to look at how things are going with naruki doi and masai yoshino that naruki doi is very sympathetic i mean he was someone that he couldn't he can't stand the fact that like his partner getting ahead of him like that's why he broke up uh, world one was because he thought that world one like was supporting him not yoshino like is that a selfish uh character trait yes but it's something that you could kind of tap into and then like the way that he turned on him again and then joining mad Blanky, and how mad Blanky then basically at that point was almost exactly to like the golden era of mad Blanky. like it would be a, a little bit later for it to truly crystallize into that but that there's a lot of ways to look at like Naruki Doi as a character in pro wrestling, and how no matter what, like however long uh, Naruki Doi is going to wrestle after Masao Yoshino retires, hopefully it's long, uh, hopefully he has, has many fruitful years ahead of him, but he's always going to be compared to Masao Yoshino, and Masao Yoshino is always going to be talked about in the same breath as whenever someone says uh, Naruki Doi, they say, Oh, yeah, Masao Yoshino. And then whenever you say Masai Ushino, you say Naruki Doi. So I, I think that's something that I have not picked up on before you mentioning that, John. But I think that definitely plays a big part to it. And I think that's something that also, like Naruki Doi was incredibly over as a face when he was in when he was the number one A of Matt Blanky. That does not happen that often, and I, and I could see that that maybe there are some uh, native fans that picked up on what you're saying, and that's why they have that That's why I have such strong fandom for Naruki Doi. because Naruki Doi, from when he turns heel after uh World One International is just like this ball of charisma that we didn't exactly see before that. And I, I think there's a there's a lot of things uh really true about that. But yeah, no, uh finishing stretch was sick. Uh and the way that they kind of like built up like the interference spots that, hey, Anthony Neese, you gotta have a spot in a Dragon Gate main event. That <laughs> cracked me up. And then the the finishing stretch is just with that, like the idea that he does the muscular bomb and then he, and then the finishing stretch where he uh, where it's not like straight into Sol Naciente Kai, it, like Naruki Doy takes about a good two minutes of sitting in the Sol Naciente, and he sells it for the remainder of the match. And then eventually Yoshino is like, oh, he's trying to get out of it again. I'm hooking my leg here. We're not doing this. And it's just like a brilliant finish. It's just one of those things that I wish that every time these two guys had this kind of, they had a match against each other, it was like this one, because this one was truly exceptional.
0: I will make this note as my final thought, and then John can kind of uh, put a bow on this. But if you look and kind of expand out of this match and just look at this Yoshino Dreamgate run, which I think we all acknowledge is a really solid one. But I do think there is a chance we're underselling it to some extent when we look at the historically great Dreamgate runs. He wins the belt from Yamato in October of 2013 at Cork and Hall. That would be my favorite match that those two had. I think that match is terrific. You have this one here against Doi, which I would go probably four and a half stars on. Maybe if I was feeling super generous, bump it up another quarter star, but you're looking at a four and a half star match there. The T-Hawk match in November of 2013. This is another Cork and Hall match that I just watched recently. And... Oh, my God, does Masato Yoshino put in a miracle performance, guiding T-Hawk almost in a paint-by-numbers type of way to a legitimate four-and-a-half-star match. His performance there is unbelievable. The BB Hulk match at Final Gate 2013, which I remember, you know, being very good, but I might need to revisit it now just to see if my tastes have shifted or not. And then you get the Mochizuki match, legendarily, January 16th, 2014, and then the match where Ricochet wins the belt. So you've got a six-match run there where five of them are, I would say, four and a quarter stars or higher, and then maybe that BB Hulk match, depending on how you feel about it. This is an absurdly great all-time Dreamgate run, and the Doi match is uh, somehow just another match in this series of great matches that Yoshino had.
3: I'm so glad you mentioned that T-Hawk match. I love that T-Hawk match so much. Earlier in the night, T-Hawk wins like a four-way find the hidden key in the turnbuckle match. Um, yeah,
0: you know, one of those. Yeah, th-
3: throw that in the, uh, in the lexicon of, uh, <laughs> of Dream uh, Dragon Gate matches. But it's like this, he's already having this incredible night. And like you said, Yoshino just walks him through a banger. Yoshino's like, just chop me a few times. I got the rest uh the mochizuki match and what i really love the match where he loses the title to ricochet the variance between that match the mochizuki match the t-hawk match this match like he gives he gives ricochet a ricochet match and he does ricochet pace and he does ricochet stuff and with t-hawk he just gets chopped to smithereens uh you know like the he just he has these people's matches for them and they're all so great i love this title Rand, like you said and the last thing I'll say about this match is this one incredible shot that I did not remember, where he's setting up, trying to get that lightning spiral from the top rope. And there's a camera down on the floor, and you see all of Monster Express holding back all of Mad Blanky. And you always see that in matches like this. But this shot where you just catch the top of all of their heads and them up on the turnbuckle, it looks like the end of King Kong. It looks like they're on top of a like a, a skyscraper. It looks like this epic like shot for film shot right before the finish. Uh that last stretch. Uh, really great stuff. Um, and like I said, like you said, Case, uh, that title reign kicks ass.
0: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, no, this, th- this for me, in a lot of ways, like when I think about Masato Yoshino, it is this title reign outside of like the tag stuff. Like, like this is like one of the reasons why I think Monster Express ranks so high for people because you have like this, you have Ricochet becoming the first ever Gaijin uh, open the Dreamgate champion. Ricochet just insane 2014. As an aside, and then you have like stuff like this, like the fact that like Anthony Nice is in this match, and it made sense. He's he's an assistant. He's getting in there. This his hip attack isn't necessarily the strongest, but then you, that that shot John at the bot at the end because you have like because like the big thing is like Yamato's like about to climb the turnbuckles, and then and then Tozawa like pulls him back. Yeah, is just phenomenal.
0: It's a tremendous addition to Yoshino's catalog. Like I said, I think we can agree this is. Uh, the best Yoshino versus Doi match there was, and I think it speaks to the career of Masato Yoshino that, we, you know, we've done a handful of these episodes now, and it's a match that neither Mike or I had really given much consideration to, and then you sit down and you watch yeah. and you go, holy shit, you know, this is, this is another day in the life of Masato Yoshino, and most wrestlers will never, uh, on their best day, hit this peak. It really speaks to his talent.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you picked this one, John. This is like this isn't just like when we talk about the dvd box set that we've talked about this isn't just like something that makes a box set this is a first disc of the box set thing like you get that music video in there you get a couple doyoshi matches in there and then you have this match between the two of them like that it, 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 it's their best match and it shows the best of both of their qualities and both of their skills like i actually went four and three quarters on this case like i thought that this match truly over delivered given what i've seen from the past and just was truly phenomenal
3: yeah i also went i'm probably i'm probably four and three on this four and three quarters um and yeah i think um it playing it, it lays out the whole story of uh doi and yoshino is all in this match which i think is uh quite a feat for a single match
2: absolutely well, I think that about does it for this episode. John, before we let you go, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, what all would you like to plug before we get out of here?
3: Thanks for having me. First off, I've been listening to you guys do this for a very long time. It's weird to be doing it. Um, and uh, I play uh, I play music, like Case hinted at uh, before. I play guitar for a few songwriters, uh, Maxwell Stern, Roger Harvey. I have a band called Timeshares I've been in for 10 or 11 years Good luck finding that on the internet, but if you do, uh, let me know what you think. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at uh, Old John Hernandez.
0: Let me vouch for John real quick. He did my old music podcast, the Archival Albums podcast. We, I, we talked a lot about Rancid. That's really the only thing I remember about that show, <laughs> but I remember John being a fucking awesome guest and... Uh, Like I alluded to earlier, this is a shoot. I was listening to Maxwell Stern's Impossible Sum on the Chicago beaches this weekend and having a very, very good weekend with that as the soundtrack. So go listen to the timeshares. Go listen to Maxwell Stern. uh, And I hope to see both of you guys in Chicago very soon.
2: Hopefully sooner than later. Yes, sir. So you could follow the podcast at Open the Voice Gate. You could follow me at Fujiheya. Two eyes like Don Fuji. You all know the deal by now. You can follow Kesa underscore in your case. Thank you all for listening to With The Voice Skate. We'll be back next week talking about this Cork and Hall show and the road to Kobe World and Speedstar final. Take care.